Well, good morning, church family. So glad y'all could be here to join us for worship. Let's uh, let's stand as we as we open with some songs. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned family. I hope you're doing well. hope you've had a wonderful weekend, some good rain yesterday, and it's good to see you here in the Lord's house as we gather together to see him, to worship him, to 
hear from him, and I want to extend a welcome to you if you're a visitor with us this morning. I would like to say welcome and also invite you to take a card in the pew right in front of you and uh, fill that out if you would. Give us a record of your being here. Share any, anything we can pray for, any way we can reach out to you this week. If you would, we would greatly appreciate that. And just drop that in the offering basket on the back wall on the way out this morning. We would greatly appreciate that opportunity if you can give it to us this week. And so I want to give you a few announcements. We'll have lunch here at the end of our time in here. Uh, to welcome the Sullivan family uh, to be with us, and so that will be just behind you in the, uh, the gym, and so we'll immediately afterwards uh, head over there. Uh, there'll be no evening gathering on campus uh, here uh, besides groups that would meet on their own. Uh, so a few things going on. Christmas is coming soon. Thanksgiving, of course, is this month. Not to forget uh, about Thanksgiving this, this month. We have much to be thankful to the Lord for and, uh, and that time together with family. Uh, but looking forward to Christmas the month after, uh, there are several opportunities that we have to uh, reach out into our community and uh, in other things to reach out into the world uh, to open doors that the gospel would be shared and that others would, would be able to come to know him. And so uh, if you see on the screen, uh, Fostering Together, uh, we have a, several, a room, but several rooms on campus where items are collected and then distributed to families of foster children and adoption and to try to support them. And so there are a few, uh, a few initiatives there to be able to support those families and uh, if those things donated, if you would, uh, if the Lord would use you to that end to donate those, those will be distributed around Christmas time. And uh, also Operation, Operation Christmas Child, the shoe boxes, there's a handful still on the back wall. So that is a uh, Samaritan's Purse ministry that sends boxes of gifts all across the globe to kids. Uh, with the gospel. And so the items are just a, an opening of a door. They're just an opportunity for the church to have resources to be able to meet needs and then meet spiritual needs of sharing Christ with children and families. And so we will bring those together next Sunday morning and have a time of prayer and a time to, to bless those and send those out the following week. And so if you would get those together, if you have one, if it's rolling around in your trunk or your car, grab that and fill that up this week and bring those back Sunday morning. And, um, and we'll, we'll pray over those and uh, commission those out. All right? And then also Baptist Global Relief, uh, there's a gift catalog in the back if you want to buy a chicken for a family or a horse or something. Uh, there's uh, there's those uh, those details listed there. All right. Okay. So I don't think there's anything else. Fantastic. Let's look at some scripture. Oh, choir. I missed one. So choir. If you're interested in being part of choir, there's a list back there. There's also an email that went out. And is there anything else? Any other announcement? No, that's it. Fantastic. So uh, it's November. This is our first Sunday together in November. And so we are memorizing a new verse of scripture. Uh, here in the book of Acts, Acts 3.19. So real short, uh, this should be pretty simple to commit to memory, and so let's recite it, let's read it out loud together uh, one time, and uh, we'll continue in prayer and in worship. All right, so follow with me. Repent. Repent. 
therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 3.19. All right. Repent, turn, return to the Lord. Literally an about face, a turning of direction. That we would turn to the Lord. There is grace offered. Christ offers grace. Christ offers mercy. He offers freely that we would turn our lives to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you that you that you have sent your son to save as the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is a way to you through him. That he came incarnate, fully God, fully man, and gave gave his infinitely valuable life on behalf of sinful people. People who've been corrupted by their own decisions, corrupted by generations. But that you, out of your compassion, your love, your kindness, your mercy, you have extended grace. God, we thank you for that grace and ask your help this morning that you would draw us to see to see our own lives and our own hearts, Lord, and in places where we desperately need to repent and that we, Lord, would see your call by your, through your word and your work of grace that we would, Lord, turn our lives to you, that we would have a willing turning to you in repentance and in faith in Christ, and that we would find springs of mercy in your Son. We would find you kind and gracious, Father, who is there ready to accept us back who's been looking for that prodigal son to return. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and ask that God you meet with us and speak to us this morning that we would see you as you truly are. And that, Lord, you would be with these various things uh, that uh, are in motion for the next few weeks in order to, to reach out and to share with others in our community and in the world, that God, you, Lord, would, would lead us to how you would have us involved and that, God, you would bless those efforts, that they would bring you glory and that others would come to know you through them. That, God, you would use them. You would use shoeboxes. You would use items. You would use laundry detergent. You would use clothing. You would use these things in order to open the door for the gospel that, Lord, that your people would share of who you are, of their experience of your grace, and of what you've inspired in your scripture, that, Lord, people would come to know you, would recognize you as Lord, and would leave darkness by your grace to come into your marvelous light of your Son. And so, Father, would you, Lord, lead your people and lead us uh, in these various things for your glory and the good of others. We thank you and ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship through song. Come ye sinner, poor needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore Jesus ready stands to save you 
to a time of reading scripture. Um, and this passage is Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 uh, through 21. And so read along with me. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Church family, be encouraged that it is it is through Christ and his death alone that we can turn to him, that we can find forgiveness. Just as we just sang in that song in verse 3, it says, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Church family, there's nothing that we can do to better ourselves. It is only through Christ and that love that he has bestowed on us. So let's continue in worship.
praise God it's not based on my merit that I'm forgiven, right? <laughs> Oof. Church family, that honestly, you know, I mess up and I fail. I'm imperfect. We just saw that, right? But this is such a great reminder for me because it's in that moment where I failed, I know that he won't. In that moment where I messed up and where I, was, I struggled, not to justify myself in struggling, that's my fault, but in that moment, I can remember we can still glorify Christ because he's not going to. So let's, uh, let's have a moment of prayer. Oh, Father, you are good. God, you are gracious. Lord, thank you for the reminder to lean on you. God, that the only good in us is from you. Father, thank you that we can turn to you and be forgiven of sin. Lord, that we can turn to you and have life. Lord, help us not to to tarry till we're better. Help us not to work on ourselves before we come to you. But God, to remember that that the only good in us is from you. The only reason that we can stand here and worship you, the only reason that we can stand here and grow in knowledge and faith is because of you. So Lord, thank you for that. Father, thank you for your love. How marvelous it is. Lord, as as Pastor David comes to preach, Father, first I want to thank you for your sovereignty and bringing a man who loves you. God, I pray that you give him the words that you want him to share. Father, help us to remember that he is just a man. And Lord, the only good in him is from you. So God, help us to glorify you through this. Father, we love you and we praise you. And in your name we pray, amen. Church family, let me invite you to take God's word this morning and join me in Colossians chapter 1. Last couple of verses of Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 is where we'll be together this Lord's Day morning. Just as you're turning there, just a brief word of, of thanks uh, to you for the way that you have loved uh, me and my family so well, so often, so early. Um, we're so thankful. Uh, to all that you have done just by way of reaching out to us, serving us in incredibly tangible ways, whether that's uh, just offerings that you've taken up in the Sunday school hour. Many of you have labored at our home over the last couple of weeks, and we are just so thankful. Uh, you, you cannot know how thankful there are not enough thank yous that would cover it for us. Uh, you have loved us so well. We are, we are so thankful for you. We love you so deeply already. And it is, uh, like has been said a couple of times this morning, it is a day for me just in marveling at God's 
sovereign hand that has brought us to this place, to this moment. Uh, I've said to Katie, I've said to some of you, I've said to friends, just as we've thought about this transition and, and, and coming here to be a part of what the Lord is doing here, it feels like for, for, for Katie and I that so many little threads and roads of our life have always kind of been leading to this, this place, this moment, this day, uh, this season of our lives here with you, and we are just so incredibly thankful. If we look like a, a, a deer in the headlights every now and then, just smile and wave and keep on moving it just as we unpack and start learning names and all that there is to get uh, familiar with a new place, a new season of ministry. That, that's kind of where we are. That's how you can be praying for us. Thank you for being patient with us uh, today and in, in, the, in the days to come as we learn just some new rhythms for our life, for our family, for ministry here. Uh, but for this moment, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 is where we are. In the fall of 1998, some 24 years ago, uh, I knew a whole lot less than I know now. I, I don't know a ton now, but I, I know that 24 years ago, I knew a lot less. Here's what I did know, though. I knew that over the course of several months, the Lord had been shaping and refining me, bringing me to a place where I understood what God's calling on my life was, that I was going to serve in Christian ministry. I, I, at that moment, I, I thought that I would be in youth ministry maybe for a really long time, but I knew that the Lord had called me to ministry, and I knew in the fall of 1998 that um, I didn't know much about what ministry would be, how I would do it, what that would look like for me, but I knew that I wanted it to look like Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. I had really no idea how to actually make that happen at that point. And over the years, the Lord has refined that, has brought the, the excellencies of his, of, of his word and this particular text into my heart, and they've taken root. But I knew 24 years ago at the outset of ministry for me that I wanted Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29 to be true. I wanted that to be the goal for which I and, and any church that I would ever be a part of, I, I knew that that was the goal that I wanted to be aiming at, that that was the intended desire and result going forward. In Colossians the, the entire epistle of Colossians, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He's addressing some theological error in the place. He's giving some instruction about the life of the church. And if you're just letting your eyes fall on chapter 1, uh, just in those previous verses, you see particularly beginning in verse 13 that you, Paul is really diving into and delving into the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? What is it that he came to do? What is true of us because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in these passages? In fact, I think, just my humble opinion, that verses 13 down to the end of the chapter are the most Christological verses in all the Bible, meaning that if you want to know and understand Jesus, who he is, what he's like, what he came to do, you read and you study those verses. And what Paul is delving into here is an error that exists in the city of Colossae, the surrounding region. It is creeping its way into the church there. It is an error regarding the understanding of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And it culminates in the final two verses of chapter 1. 
where, read with me, Paul says this, that we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. 24 years ago, I didn't know much, but I knew that I wanted these things in verses 28 and 29 to be true of my life. And if you're here today and you're wondering, what does, what does ministry under David going to look like at Faith Family in the days, weeks, months, hopefully many, many, many years to come? Beloved, I, I want you to circle Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29. If you want to know what is my heartbeat, but most importantly, if you want to know what is the heartbeat of God described in his word for Christian ministry in the life of the local church, Colossians 1, 28 and 29 is it. This is the standard. This is the goal. What is David all about as we're, as we're beginning the process of learning one another and finding these new rhythms together? What is the one big thing? that we're going to be praying toward, working toward, serving toward, giving our lives together toward. It's Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. I love these verses for a thousand reasons. Maybe one of the reasons that I love them is because it feels like, in our hearts, it feels like cookies on the bottom shelf kind of stuff. What, what does God want us to be like? What does he want us to look like as the local church? Here it is. It's right here. It's in black and white. It's crystal clear language. And as we look at these two verses together this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to draw out for us three aspects this morning, three aspects of Christian ministry. This is for me as I stand before you in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. This is for the Sunday school teacher. This is for those teaching the children. This is for every Bible study. This is for every small group gathering. What are we aiming at together? What are the aspects that should be true for me, your pastor, for us as a local church? Three aspects here together this morning. At the very beginning of verse 28, we come to the first one. It's very clear, I think, very plain, very simple. We see together ministry's proclamation. What is it that we're saying What are we proclaiming? What is the subject? What is the great object of our sermons, of our Sunday school classes, of our Bible studies, ministries, proclamation, at the beginning of verse 28? What is it? We proclaim him. We'll stop, right? We, collectively, the people of God, plural language here, we coming together as pastor, as parishioner, we proclaim him. And beloved, notice what Paul is saying in verse 28. And maybe also give attention to what he's not saying in verse 28. Paul is stating so very clearly, and then implicitly not saying some things as well. We proclaim him. We openly declare. We openly declare. We plainly declare. We loudly proclaim him. In Christian ministry, we are not ashamed of the gospel. You recall the refrain from Paul in Romans 1.16, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So then, if we're not ashamed of it, we do what with it? Verse 28, we proclaim him loudly, openly, clearly, overtly. 
We do not stutter. We do not stammer. We say what God has said. Beloved, my primary responsibility to you in this moment is not to be clever. It is to be clear about what God has already said in his word. While I am not a prophet, capital P, there is a sense where preaching ministry is little p, prophetic ministry, in that we proclaim, thus saith the Lord. We open up God's word. We see here what is true about God, what what is true about ourselves, what is true about life and the world, and what is the way to make it all right. And as we see it together, we proclaim it together. We do not water down the Word of God. We do not hedge our words. We do not seek to be clever or to take some things out to make it more palatable to the taste of the prevailing culture and world around us. We are like the ministry of John the Baptist. You recall, he comes before Christ. He is the forerunner of Christ. And what is he proclaiming? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now we, as pastors, as saints gifted by the Holy Spirit for the works of ministry, we go forward now before the second coming of Christ, heralding out into the wilderness, prepare yourselves for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We do not give Christian talks on Sunday mornings. The pulpit is not the time for dialogue that is needed in the life of the church But when it comes to the moment of preaching, we are proclaiming Him. In Christian ministry, preachers preach. And they do not pander to itching ears. We do not hide behind slogans like preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. We do, in fact, maybe just the opposite. Al Mohler has said rightly, preach the gospel, use necessary words. Because biblical proclamation, gospel proclamation, word of God, scripture proclamation is proclaiming all the words of inspired scripture. Again, we do not omit. We do not change them to fit our taste, to be somehow more winsome, to the crooked and perverse generations surrounding us. If we do not proclaim the words of Scripture, we're not proclaiming Scripture. If we don't proclaim the Word of God, we're not proclaiming the Word of God. If we're not telling people what is true about God, what is true about them, and what is true about how they may be right with God through Christ, then they will never hear the gospel. They will never be born again. The church will never grow. You will never become more like Jesus. What is ministry's proclamation? It is that we proclaim Him, beloved. One faithful pastor said this this, this past week, the gospel doesn't need help It needs heralds. The gospel doesn't need new programs. It needs proclamation. The gospel doesn't need creative arts of expression. It needs courageous acts of exposition. Beloved, in Christian ministry, we have a sacred charge, a sacred responsibility, a glorious privilege to stand before God's people, every man, woman, Every boy, every girl, 
Every person that comes to the doors of this building, to our neighbors across the street, the co-worker down the hall, we proclaim, notice what Paul says, verse 28, him. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. Beloved, we don't have to come up with our own message. Here's what you're never going to find me doing. You're never going to find me back there in the office, like scrambling about trying to find some kind of subject matter for a sermon. Now, you may find me wandering the building lost. That's happening a lot right now. But you'll never, ever find me scurrying about, frantically asking, what are we going to say? What's the, what's the subject here? Who is the great object? Scripture tells us, beloved, verse 28, we proclaim Him. Who is Him? Jesus Christ. Turn back. Chapter 1, verse 13. There is a temptation always in me to preach these verses, but we would be here till 5 o'clock tonight. I promise you I'm not going to do that. But I do want you to read through this with me. Who is Him in verse 28? Different sermon, different day, a lot of different sermons for a lot of different days. Verse 13, he, Christ, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who is Jesus? The image of the invisible God. The exact representation, he is God. For by him, all things were created. He is creator, beloved both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, beloved. He's preeminence. And in Him all things hold together. He's sovereign Lord. He is the head of the body, the church. I'm not your head. Christ is, dear saints. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You get it. That's weeks of sermons, right? Who is Christ? He may, we may can say that He is more than that, but He is not less than that. Beloved, my sacred charge before you, our sacred charge as the people of God together, is to make sure that in every sermon, every Bible study, every gathering where God's Word be open, that we proclaim him. We don't merely say things about Him. We proclaim Him. He is the great object of every sermon. Christ is the aim of every text. The whole of Scripture is about Jesus. Genesis to Revelation, the whole of Scripture is about Christ, so we proclaim Him. The only way to salvation is through Jesus, so we proclaim Him. The only hope for the nations is Christ, so we Proclaim Him. Here at Faith Family, as we seek to fulfill our God-given, Spirit-empowered ministries, we will absolutely seek to proclaim Him in everything that we do. 
Not only in verse 28 do we see ministry's proclamation, but secondly, we see ministry's purpose. Why do we do what we do? Why do we preach? Why do we open our doors? Why do we give our money? Why do we invest our time? Why do we stay up late? Why do we do this? I think maybe sometimes the answers to those questions seem obvious, and they seem so obvious to us that maybe we forget to even ask the question. And years go by. And maybe we don't consider, why are we doing this? Why why pack up my family and and move a couple of states away and, and do this? Why show up every Sunday morning and play instruments and get your Sunday school class ready? Why show up on Wednesdays and, and teach children and students? Why, why, are, why, are we do, why do we do this? There's a purpose to all this in verse 28. We proclaim Him. First Paul says that we admonish every man and we're teaching every man with all wisdom. So before Paul gets to the so that in verse 28, notice what he says here. That as we begin this proclamation of Christ, we peel back a a bit of a layer to delve deeper into that. Number one, we find that we admonish every man. And I want you to notice in verse 28, notice the dual uses. He says twice here, every man. Admonishing every man, teaching every man. There's an emphasis given to the church here that every member, that every member of the local church is to be admonished and taught. The church has a responsibility to make sure that everyone is admonished, that they are taught, that they are discipled, that they are built up. Every believer in the church has a responsibility to make sure that you plug yourself into opportunities where you will be admonished and taught and where you will be discipled and grow in Christ. We admonish every man, Paul says, it means to put into the minds. That's what the word admonish means. To put into the mind. The great Puritan Richard Baxter said it this way, that we are charged to screw the truth into men's minds. To take the truth of God's word and what is there and just to work it in, to massage it in, to bring into the mind the things that are true of sacred scripture. There's also a sense where the word admonish, it means to encourage with a warning. It means to encourage the saints and to work also into their minds the reality that this is the word of God. It is the holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible, eternal word of God. And as God's covenant people, we are bound to do exactly what it says. We are not free to offer our own suggestions to this, to amend or edit this in any way, that we are bound to the Word of God. And if we stray from it, if we rebel against it, beloved, there's great cost in so doing. We even talked in Sunday school this morning about the reality that God's Word has gone forth. And God has said what is right and what is holy and how his people should live in relationship with him and to rebel against that ultimately brings the greatest consequence of a sinful death. So we warn people 
that we must bring our lives into adherence with the Word of God. But he uses a second word in verse 28 as well. Not only do we admonish every man, we teach every man. We systematically walk through the Scriptures together to draw out the truths and the applications. This is one of the reasons why I am so deeply convictional about expository preaching. And by that, for me, that means verse by verse through books of the Bible. To draw out the truths for us because there is a sacred charge given to me of admonishing and teaching every man. And I pray that for you, particularly if you are one who teaches in the life of our church, that that is your conviction as well. That you walk through books of the Bible with the people that the Lord has entrusted to you and you draw out the truths of God's Word. Well, I would never forget that without the teaching of Scripture, there is no fulfillment of the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, and then it doesn't stop there, right? What does He continue to say? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So, as we are proclaiming Christ, we are admonishing and we are teaching with all wisdom in verse 28. And beloved, there's so much we could say here, but just briefly, what is the source of this wisdom? Church, it is nothing other than the Word of God. Turn back just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So, Paul says, we're proclaiming Him, we're admonishing and teaching every man with all wisdom. What is that wisdom? What is the source of this wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look with me in verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Paul meaning there, his own earthly wisdom. Proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but where, church? But on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom. In a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Beloved, can I admonish you in this moment to encourage you, maybe with just a brief word of warning, be so very careful about all that you see that looks and sounds Christian floating around you, all that looks and sounds and seems to be so Christian that finds its way into your social media feeds, Would you please just be so careful there? Would you apply God's Word to your heart and to all those things that you're seeing there? Because, beloved, there is a wisdom of this world that at first blush, it looks right, it feels right, it sounds right, 
But as we compare it with God's holy word, we find that it is lacking. We find that it is in error. We find that it is not the wisdom of God that leads to salvation in Christ. We must be those who take what we hear from God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we are able to discern And one of the key things that we should be asking ourselves in those moments is, is this little nugget that has just come across my eyes and my heart and my mind, is it pointing me to Christ? Is it pointing me to Christ or is it somehow by some little slide of cultural hand, is it pointing me to me? Or to the passing fancy wish and whim of the world. And here's why I say this. Because beloved, ultimately Christ, ultimately Christ is the wisdom of God. Ultimately, all wisdom is personified in Christ. Look down if you're back in Colossians chapter 2. Paul praying this prayer, writing this prayer to them. Look in verse 2, he's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Love of God's Word is pointing you to Christ. And as you behold Christ in the Scriptures, you behold the very wisdom of God personified. How do we admonish and teach with all wisdom? We point people to Christ. And so when we teach that Jesus is salvation, that Jesus is the source of justification, that in Christ alone is their forgiveness, We're admonishing and teaching according to the wisdom of God. When we teach that in Jesus there is more than we could ever need or hope, we're admonishing and teaching with the wisdom of God. And though the world call it foolishness, the narrow door of Christ is the epitome of and only access to the wisdom of God. Now, look in verse 28 again. Proclaiming, admonishing, what is ministry's purpose so that? Circle that, underline it, make it stand out in your Bibles, in your heart, in your mind. Here's what we do. Here's why we do. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. Why do we proclaim him? Why do we admonish? Why do we teach? Why do we keep showing up? Why do we give? Why do we go? Why do we serve? Why? Why do we do this? So that. Here's the answer. We may present every man complete in Christ. And maybe out of everything that's being said in these two verses, I think for me in my heart, this is the phrase that I'm continually drawn to. Notice what Paul's saying in verse 28. So that we may present. The word present, it means to place beside. So Christmas is is coming, Thanksgiving first, I get it. Christmas is coming, all right? Christmas morning, um, if it's not just absolute chaos in in your house, 
Um, maybe one of the things that happens is you have a gift in your hand and you take it to the one to whom you're giving it and you do what? You set that gift down beside them. Notice what Paul's saying here with that in mind. The purpose of ministry is to present every man complete in Christ. To take God's people momentarily entrusted to my care and to lay you down to place you beside God. It's the same idea, by the way, that Paul's using in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. He's having the conversation with the Ephesian elders, and he says at the beginning of that verse, now I commend you to God. It's the same, almost the very same word, certainly the same idea. Beloved, do you see in verse 28 what it is that we're called to do and why we do what we do? Beloved, there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Saints, there is coming a day when you will stand before the sovereign Lord of the universe. And on that day, on that day, my great responsibility to you and the great purpose for which I and which we labor is for me in that moment to lay you down beside Christ more mature and more like Him than the day that I found you. God's call in my life is not to entertain you. It's to make you more like Jesus. God's call on my life is to build you up in the faith because one day, Everybody that the Lord has entrusted to my care, I'm going to lay them beside Christ as the tender, precious lambs of God that you are. And I believe there will be a great account that I must give in that moment. What did I do with the people of God that He, for this brief moment in time, that he entrusted to my care. And the only right answer is that I present you complete, mature is what the word means. Some of your Bibles translate that perfect. The idea here is that of maturity. Beloved, pray for me, for one another in this. Because God's call on my life is to make you more like Jesus. And the only way that I can do that is by proclaiming His Word, by pointing you to the wisdom of God who is Christ. And then as you think about your own ministries and what God has called you to do, how God has called you to employ your Holy Spirit-given gift, this is ministry's purpose, church. It's why we do what we do. And then lastly, thirdly, third aspect of Christian ministry here is in verse 29, we see together ministry's power. How do we actually make all of this happen? Because this is a pretty high call in our lives, right? Proclaim Him. That's your message. Every single time, proclaim Jesus. Point to Jesus. So that you make everybody that's listening to you more like Jesus. 
That's a high calling, by the way. And beloved, let me just go ahead and tell my own self this, and let me just remind you, you are absolutely inadequate for that task. You cannot do that on your own. You will not do that on your own. So then, if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, and here's one of the glorious and beautiful things about God, that when he calls us to do something, when he equips us to do something, he also then actually gives the power to accomplish that which he has called us to do. But that's not in me, and it's not in you, dear saints. Where is that power? Verse 29. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Notice the two words at the beginning of verse 29. For this purpose, what purpose? The purpose of verse 28. I labor, striving. I labor, striving. The word labor, it means to work to the point of exhaustion. The word striving, it means to agonize. That Greek word there, striving, agonizomai. We get our English word agony or to agonize. You, you see the kind of labor. You see the kind of exertion that God calls us to in ministry. Ministry will not happen if we sit by in our spiritual lazy boys twiddling our thumbs hoping it'll get done. Yes, ultimately it is God who does it, but there is a means that God uses and that is you, dear saints. It is you. It's me. And so we labor to the point of exhaustion. We give ourselves completely, utterly, totally to God to the proclamation of his word, to making people more like Jesus. George Whitfield. he famously said this, I, I would rather wear out than rust out. And I feel that, saints. The call in our lives is not, oh, hey, you've been saved. Everything's right between you and God now. You can just kind of sit idly by until you die or until Jesus comes back. That is not the call of God in our lives. We're called to labor. We're called to strive. Don't sit on the sidelines rusting out. And look, the, the call here, let me just be clear. The call here is not work like it depends on you. Because it doesn't depend on you, right? So don't mishear me on that. I'm not saying, God's word is not saying, work yourself to the point of exhaustion because it all depends on you. The call here is proclaim Christ week in and week out. Point people to Jesus week in and week out. Give your lives to that. Make that your great purpose for existing preach christ point children students adults to jesus be faithful to the word of god and then go home and go to bed and let god be god and let his word do the work but you be faithful labor strive work hard at it according to whose power his power his power which mightily works within me what is his power 
Paul's telling us, verse 29, it's his power mightily working in me through the person and the work of his Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in your lives to give you the ability to do what God has called you to do. How then do we tap into His power, which is at work mightily in me? Maybe we could say a lot of things. Let me just say two. This means, dear church, that if we're going to do verse 28 according to His power, verse 29, it means that we will be people, number one, of prayer. We will be people of prayer. We are kidding ourselves. We're kidding ourselves if we think that we will accomplish verse 28 on our own. Beloved, I, I, I can't make you more like Jesus. I can't. Only God's Spirit can do that. If you're in the room this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I can't save you this morning. I can't do that. There's not a single person in this room that is equipped for that. I cannot, on my own, rightly engage you in this moment. Only God's Spirit working can do that. And so we must pray. We must pray before every sermon. We must pray before every Bible study, every class, every moment of ministry. We cover it. We bathe it. And in, woven in and out of all the aspects of ministry, we're constantly taking those things before the Lord in prayer. So I am hopeful, along with you, that as we engage in life and ministry together, that one of the things that will be so true of us in the days, weeks, months, and years to come is that we will be marked as a people of prayer. Not those who do great things because they're such great people. But that this becomes a place where God is doing great things because we give ourselves to Him in private and corporate prayer together. And then I think secondly, how do we do all this according to His power which mightily works within me? Beloved, it, it will come through a proclamation and adherence to the Word of God. We are kidding ourselves if we believe that we can operate according to His power and neglect His Word. For in His Word is the power. The power is not in the man. It's not in your ability, your long hours of study. Work hard at that. Do that. But that's not where the power lies. The power is in the Word. So with that refrain of Luther echoing through our hearts and minds as he reflected on the Reformation, and he said, I did nothing. The Word did it all. We're reminded in that, that if we will accomplish verse 28 according to his power, verse 29, we will do that according to the Word of God. We must be those devoted to prayer, and I don't, again, I don't mean just checking a box. There's a little slot for it on Sunday or Wednesday, and we just kind of check that box, but it just becomes part and parcel to who we are. It's just the, the, the default of our souls is that we're constantly bringing things before the Lord. 
and that we are deeply committed to the sufficiency and the necessity of His Word in all things, in our hearts, and in our lives. Church, we proclaim Him. He's the great object of of every sermon. We're constantly setting our eyes on Christ. Can I just ask this morning, do you know Him? You'll never proclaim Him if you don't know Him. Do you know Christ today? Not some things about Him. Not some songs that talk about Him. Not some Bible stories that maybe you remember from childhood. But are you in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? You must come to Christ. You must turn from your sin. We've heard from this morning and what we've sung together from the text of Scripture read earlier in the service. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. What is that hymn calling you to? It's calling you to Christ. It's calling you to turn from your sin, to not try to clean yourself up and make yourself more right and acceptable to God, but to come to Jesus for salvation. And so in just a moment, as we respond to God's Word together, as we sing together, as we admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, one of the things that we're going to be saying in that moment is come to Christ, dear sinner. Is that how you need to respond to the Lord today? Church, in a moment, as we respond, what about these two verses needs to work its way into your soul, your heart, your mind? There's a recommitment in your own heart of proclaiming Christ. Maybe you've been tempted to hedge your words a little bit. Maybe culture's pressing in and you feel the temptation to ease off the language of one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's to some degree we've neglected prayer in our own private or corporate lives. Maybe we've neglected the reading, the study, the application of God's Word to our lives. How do we need to respond together? Church, I already love you. I'm already so thankful for you. I'm already deeply encouraged by you. I'm thankful for your heart. I'm thankful for your desires. So as we think about moving forward together and engaging Spanish Ford or Daphne or surrounding communities, we we do it according to Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. We do it for God's glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. Always right, always always true. Father, it draws us in this morning to think about life and to think about ministry and to think about what it is that the local church should be and and do and what should we say how should we do it oh God cement these verses in our hearts so that we might stand upon them in every sermon Sunday school class small group Bible study ministry event Father cement these things in our hearts so that we stand upon a firm foundation of Christ Father, so that we never forget why we do what we do. We're not just an organization. 
like every other organization out there, Father, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we proclaim Him so that we might present every man complete in Christ. Oh God, bind our hearts, Father, to that beautiful, sacred charge, God, that you've given to us. Lord, as we, as we respond to your word, Father, we cannot walk away indifferent to this. We, we will either respond positively or negatively to this. God, as we think about these things, as we continue in prayer, as we respond to these things, oh God, make us more like Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for what you're doing, what you have been doing, what you will do in the life of Faith Family Fellowship. God, thank you for these sweet saints. Thank you for their hearts of service. I thank you for their love for you and your word. Oh God, knit our hearts so tightly together. Unite us under this one glorious purpose. And God, continue to make much of your great name. We love you and we thank you. We ask and pray all these things in Christ's name. Most importantly, where you are, you respond to the